0: Here's a little fun fact. Did you know that for over five years, I taught thousands of people at hundreds of different events, both in person and online, how to grow their businesses? And I did this for Google. And now I want to do it for you. I'm offering up some special complimentary coaching opportunities for a few lucky wise squirrels. Visit wisequirrels.com coaching. Welcome to Why Squirrels, the podcast for late-diagnosed adults with ADHD. I'm your host, Dave Delaney. Happy 2024. We made it. We made it into a new year, and I'm excited about where things are going with Wise Squirrels. One of the things about doing a podcast is you're putting yourself out there, you're creating content, and you're hoping... It resonates with folks and yes, behind the scenes, you can see the number of downloads of episodes and one can assume and hope that people are actually listening to those downloads. But what really matters most to me is receiving feedback from you. And that can be by visiting why and leaving a comment. It can be recording an audio comment and submitting it to me. And there's a link on the website to do that or even just emailing me hello at wise and leaving a public review is another wonderful way of letting me know that you're enjoying the show. But I really do want to hear from you. I would really love to know what you think of the show and also any feedback. Are there guests you'd like to hear on the show? Are there questions you have that you'd like me to ask my guests? Anything that you would like to provide? Good, bad, Ugly. It doesn't matter. I would love to hear from you. So do that, please let me know how I'm doing. Um, it's one of those things about podcasting where, yeah, if you don't, you don't hear feedback, then yeah, it starts to get a little, uh, a little old. You're kind of putting things out in the air and hoping something sticks with you, hoping something helps. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Christina Lauk, a PhD in clinical psychology and licensed mental health counselor in Washington, specializing in ADHD-focused psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, and coaching for women at her private practice, peacehumanistic.com. We spoke about careers and reinvention, narrative therapy, burnout, emotional freedom technique, radical gratitude, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, RSD, and much more. It's a fun, great way to kick off the new year, and I think you're gonna learn some things and also uh, come away with some activities and things to try for yourself. Of course, a quick reminder that the content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I'm not a medical professional, so always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical condition, including ADHD. Reliance on any information provided by this podcast is solely at your own risk, so just go talk to your doctor. Okay. I began our conversation by asking Dr. Lauk about her early ADHD diagnosis. So I recall you were diagnosed with ADHD at nine years old. Tell me a little bit about what you recall from then.
1: Yeah, you know, I have a really good memory from then because it was new and novel stuff that was going on Mm. in terms of them questioning, you know, what was going on with me. And it really started in kindergarten for me um, when I was really struggling with putting together puzzles. And it wasn't that I couldn't put the puzzle together. It was just I've already done Mm. it. And I didn't want to have to do it again. And so that was the first time they sent me for testing, but nothing ever came of it. By the time I hit third grade, you know, it was, it got dire and I was really struggling in school. And so they sent me for testing again. And then this time they found out that I had ADHD and I was hyperactive. And the problem was that I was a girl with hyperactivity. And so school always had a hard time with me. They always struggled with me. And if I was an inattentive girl with ADHD, I probably would have been missed. So I'm really blessed to have had the hyperactive component because it made the adults take notice. So by the time I was in third grade, I did get diagnosed. I didn't get medicated at that time. My parents didn't feel that medication was worthwhile. School was happy and satisfied that I was diagnosed, but they really didn't do any accommodations for me other than moving me up a reading level. So I was kind of on my own um, to fend for myself with my ADHD. So I remember a lot of that time just because it was Stuff that was going on, and it was exciting. And what's what's wrong with Christina? And um, all that attention on me, and so I, I learned pretty early on that I had ADHD.
0: And it's interesting too that you know the more that I speak to to guests for the podcast, and and you know other folks who work in the in the medical field or, or coaches and things like that, and you know with a obviously with a focus on ADHD is is how how creative uh ADHDers are of you know fellow wise squirrels and uh i know you're very creative as well having having worked in dance uh yes tell tell me a little bit about that career and and uh yeah
1: yeah so it was my ADHD diagnosis in third grade um that kind of started my dance career my parents didn't want to medicate but i was hyperactive so they needed to keep me busy so I always wanted to, I was always nagging to take dance, and so they finally got me into some ballet classes, and it really went from there. In dance classes, I was able to focus. I was able to, you know, minimize all of my ADHD symptoms and really kind of hone into that creative aspect of it. You know, the creative side of ADHD is that we think outside of the box. You know, we're really innovative in our thinking processes and And if you can find the art form that, you know, really sparks that, it's amazing. And for me, with my hyperactivity, it was dance. I ended up staying in dance for many, many, many years. 30 years, I taught ballet. Um, And I love it. And I encourage anybody who's neurodivergent, if you have, you know, a child that's neurodivergent, get them into a dance class. You'll be amazed at how much they focus. And, you know, as an adult, it's never too late to start, you know, take a dance class, take a pottery class, take an art class. You might be surprised at how much you can focus and really kind of find a a nice sense of peace.
0: Do you find that you know, as folks get older and lives get busier with, you know, parenting and and business and all the things that these more creative, artistic endeavors kind of fall fall to the wayside. Do you do, do you find that in, in in the people that you come across and, and converse <laughs> with? Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, a lot of adults with ADHD we get stuck in ruts, uh, especially if you were diagnosed later. You know, we. When you're diagnosed later, you, you tend to feel that you have these unsurmounting problems um, and there's something wrong with you. You know, you don't realize that it's just, um, you know, a, a neurodevelopmental, um, the neurodevelopmental side of you. And if you can hone into something that is creative, um, you can get a sense of accomplishment back. You know, you can kind of get out of that rut by d- working different parts of your brain. By, you know the neuroplasticity of our brain. If we can just ignite other regions of our brain, um, it can bring us to to feeling more complete um, and getting those thought processes thought processes to start rolling again for us. Um, so yes, get something creative. Do something creative, whether it is just crafting um, or playing the piano that you have collecting dust in the corner maybe it's just you know reinvigorating an old hobby that maybe you had as a kid
0: do you, are there some exercises or things to do to you know besides you know looking over at that dusty piano uh, are there some exercises or ideas that that one can do to maybe tap in maybe they don't maybe they seemingly i would say seemingly cuz everybody has creative ideas and and things maybe they they abandon them as a child. But are, are there exercises or ways that you've seen where adults, you know, can, can tap back into their creativity and find an outlet?
1: Yeah, you know what I always recommend? And it, it almost goes hand in hand with the social connectedness piece that um, for us ADHDers that we tend to lose um, our ability to connect with just our community. I tell people all the time if you're looking for something to do artistically, you know, go to your your local parks and rec, start taking classes. Um, classes for our ADHD brain is learning new and novel information, which is really, really great. It'll teach you a new skill. It'll get you out meeting new people. So you kind of hit a lot of the different... Um, You know, different things that we should be doing as adult ADHDers and just kind of one big fail swoop. So that's what I always recommend is kind of, you know, find a class where you can meet other people and try something new. Um, The other thing that I always recommend is just be compassionate for yourself. You know, don't try something and then if you don't do well at it, beat yourself up. You know, we're not going to be perfect at everything, but we need to try new things because the new and novel piece of our ADHD is huge. That is the big dopamine hit that we need. So any way you can seek that out is really, really important.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting for my own journey and, and you know, realizing, obviously, having just been diagnosed not that long ago with ADHD, realizing that my sweet spot is often standing on stages delivering keynote presentations Mm. and workshops and things like that and you know i go way back to the early days where i studied improv at second city in toronto and love 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 doing improv and how improv has played a big role uh in my public speaking talents as well and and some of the curriculum that i've created too so I, i i really do see like a lot of value in in not just tapping in and finding creative outlets but also finding maybe ways to incorporate them into the into the work you do yeah do you find and you're based so you you got your you started well you started in california originally and and moved to seattle and you serve primarily women right in in washington is that right
1: I do. I primarily serve women here in Washington State that have ADHD and a lot of times with comorbid other mental illness because there's a huge prevalence. Um, of other types of mental illness with ADHD. So those are mainly the type of women that that seek me out. And I offer psychotherapy and hypnotherapy. Um, and I also offer ADHD testing for adults, which in my area, there's a huge wait list for just ADHD testing in general. And for adults, it's even longer. So I, I've carved out some space uh, to make that process easy for, for women with ADHD to get tested.
0: Yeah, why is there – or how long is the wait list and, and you know, what are you, what are you finding finding in the field there?
1: Well, the wait list for uh, neurodevelopmental testing could be anywhere from 12 to 18 months. Wow. It's, yeah, it's for – and they really try to get kids in first because, you know, the accommodations for school – um, is so important. However, you know, an adult with ADHD, a lot of us need accommodations at work. And so testing is really, really important. Sometimes just changing some some structure at work can take you from feeling like you're constantly underwater to actually making you feel that you're getting your work done and finding some successes. So I, I encourage anybody who's thinking that they have ADHD to get tested because they get tested from a source that, is going to give you a report that gives you accommodation suggestions hmm. and not just one that is ready to prescribe you medication. Hmm. I mean that's great too, but you also need those accommodations because what if changing one thing at work can make or break you know your career? So that kind of stuff is important. I want people with ADHD adults with ADHD to know that that's out there for them, that they can actually get those accommodations at work.
0: What are some examples of, of those accommodations that you've seen?
1: So one that for me personally that I ask for is if I'm in a presentation, can I get the slides in advance? Because if I have them in advance and I can kind of review them, then I'm not overwhelmed in the moment and I have a better idea of what the presentation is going to entail. And then if I can have them in front of me so I can then, you know, check back with the slide um, that I have instead of having to constantly bounce from the, the screen to the person. Uh, for a lot of people with ADHD, that could be an environmentally, um, the stimulus could be a little too much. So for me, that would be a big one. Some people need to have real strict deadlines. You know, a lot of these companies, these tech companies like to have more of the loosey-goosey, you know, no, for ADHD, we need to have a deadline. So I, we sometimes have to tell a supervisor, you need to give me five o'clock on Friday um, instead of, oh, when it gets done, that doesn't work for us. We need to be, you know, held accountable. Um, so those are just two. Uh, really a big, important ones. And one, another one that is a good one is for people that are hyperactive and sitting for long periods of time is challenging. Asking for more breaks. Um, if it's a meeting that's four hours long, well, can I stand? You know, there's, there's certain things we can ask for. And oftentimes employers want to give it to, you know, give you these accommodations.
0: Mm, Yeah. those, Those are great, great suggestions for sure. Great examples. Um, uh, what, what about what about as far as like if you have been diagnosed with ADHD, um, how do you how do you communicate that at work in order to make sure that those accommodations are even being considered?
1: Yeah, um, it could be. You know, you, you first really need to know the climate and the culture of your employer and the work environment. I, I tell people always first, you know, f- ask around. Uh, because some employers might hold it against you. You know, it's still out there and I don't want, you know, to tell you that every employer is going to bow down to an accommodation. So ask around. Most employers are more than happy to help and, and, and accommodate you. So if you think that this is going to work for your employer, go into human resources with your note of accommodations because they're going to want to see that you, you medically need these accommodations. So you'll have your testing uh, report and You just give that to the employer and they can look over those accommodations and then see which ones that they can actually do. They're not going to be able to do all of it, but they might be able to do one or two things. And it's from that list that comes from a clinician that really gives specifics and guidance to the human resource department. And then once you can get that on record, then if your main supervisor uh, is struggling to accommodate that, you can always back, go back to human resources and then they can advocate for you.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's that's excellent. What about Peace Humanist? Uh, I know that's your business. Tell me about that. Yeah,
1: peace, humanistic therapy. So my it's at my private practice, and my goal for my private practice really was to meet women where they're at, you know, where they're struggling, and to provide them with a space that they can learn skills that can bridge. Our neuro, you know, divergent brains to the neurotypical world. You know, we need to have some basic skills to to get us there, but also a place to process emotions in a safe, compassionate environment, because we all are affected. Most of us, anyway, are affected by rejection sensitive dysphoria and big mood dysregulation. So it's a safe space to process through some of that trauma that we've experienced, and you know, with ADHD. Um, The one kind of piece that no one really talks about is the trauma piece. A lot of us, when we were growing up, people weren't kind to us because we had ADHD, especially if you were hyperactive, Um, even adults. the the small little microaggressions build up over time and by the time we get to adulthood have have caused us um, some trauma and so we need to process that too. So my practice is really just to create a space for women to come and to um, make peace with their ADHD and also to learn the strengths of their ADHD so we can minimize the symptoms Um, but we also have some amazing strengths so I teach them how to lean in Lean into those strengths so we can be successful and rise above.
0: What took you from dance and, and teaching dance to to therapy?
1: Um, it was those were my two choices when I was a little kid. I used to play um, school with my dolls, and I used to teach psychology class, and then we would have <laughs> dance class. And so when I was little, that was kind of my—that's what I thought I would do. Well, I just went. Right into dance because, you know, it's, it's a career of the youth and that was, you know, what I did. But psychology was always in the back of my mind. And then when I was 40, I decided, you know what, it's time, new and novel, let's go back to school. And I went back to school, and got my master's, my PhD, and just really leaned into it. Um, and I want to tell people that are 40 thinking that I can't change my career. I'm too far in. I, you can. I did it. I am now 50 years old. I have a PhD. I have a private practice. And now I'm doing all the stuff I wanted to in psychology that I didn't do when I was younger. So I've had two beautiful careers. Um, so if you think you can't do it and you have ADHD, guess what? You can. ADHD is that superpower that can really push us. Um, And to do that beyond uh, what other people don't think we can do.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing a statistic that the average person will have like 12 jobs during their lifetime. And I, I'm looking up the stat. 32% of people aged 25 to 44 have considered making a career change within the past year. And 29% of people have completely changed fields since starting their first job after college. So it's pretty, yeah, I mean, it is it is something. I think of my own career path and some of the, I mean, there's certainly underlying similarities in, in a lot of the things that I've done. Um, it's taken me a long time to kind of connect the dots and realize that and kind of land on, you know, my biggest strength, which is really around communication. But it's interesting. Do you, have you found that for yourself or your clients too of finding sort of that underlying thing that is similar? Like, let me start here, actually. How is the study and the, and the, the art of performing and dance? Like, what are the similarities in that? Compared to in therapy or in, in psychology.
1: Yeah. You know, for me it, in my personal trek through them, it, the underlying thing is education. Mm. So in dance, I, I loved performing and I loved being on stage, but I got the biggest kicks out of teaching the kids how to do it and then watching them and sharing the knowledge. And in psychology, it's kind of been the same. I've really found myself doing a lot of trainings and just teaching people and educating people because I think if, you know, here you are, you're an adult with ADHD, the more you know, uh, the more you you can then plan uh, to be successful. So for me, the, the underlying thing that connected them was mainly just the education piece. But if you looked at kind of the connection more of the, you know, what we see, and there is kind of a piece of having that performance quality when you are working with clients you know, because you have to, when you're a performer, you have to be able to think on your feet. You know, if you've ever forgotten a line or uh, the person that you're acting next to is forgetting a line, you have to be able to, like, keep going. The show must go on. And it's the same in therapy. You know, I, I've had the, uh, clients that have brought me stuff that kind of floored me. And I have to be able to think on my feet um, so I can help them. But that's the beauty of ADHD. That's one of our strengths. We have this ability in crisis to be able to be the most focused and resilient person who can jump in and do what's needed and not even have to take that forethought.
0: So what you're saying is every improviser probably has ADHD. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, It would be a strong bet that
0: they could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's really that's really interesting, and yeah, you know, as I as I learn about the different aspects of ADHD, I, I certainly see, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of signs in myself, and I've been mindful, you know, through this whole discovery of uh, avoiding that, uh, that natural tendency of, of reflecting on the past in, in a negative kind of, you know, all the what ifs and, and things like that. Do, do, how do you handle that when your your clients might be dwelling a little too much on the past?
1: You know, a lot of it for my clients and for myself, and I'll, I'll speak for myself on this one is those what ifs or any of the memories from the past are often heavily tied to rejection sensitive dysphoria. And a lot of the stuff that comes up is either real or fully fake perceived rejections of something that happened in our past. Hmm. Um, and that's really how that interaction is, and my, me and my clients that are processing through some of those memories. You know, and a lot of those memories end with, ugh, if only I wasn't a failure. You know, if only, if only. You know, what if I could have just had gotten it together? Um, So a lot of it is that rejection sensitive dysphoria. And there's not a lot of research on RSD. It's not in the diagnostic criteria for ADHD, but it's real and it's really affecting us. So, when I work with ADHDers and we're talking about anything in our past, I'm always very cognizant of what really is it attached to. Is it attached to a memory or a feeling you need to just process through, or is it RSD? Which sometimes it could just be an, a nod, a, a fictional, a fictional rejection that didn't even happen, but we still need to process process through it like it's real because it's real to them
0: is RSD commonly associated with ADHD or do you know do can can people it have, is. you know yeah
1: yeah it is uh, commonly with people with ADHD I have where I, I have seen it um, with other diagnoses um, I would like to see more research on RSD and the prevalence with um, ADHD in you know, particular but just in my you know grassroots anecdotal evidence um, I I don't think I've met anybody with ADHD that once I've explained what RSD is, haven't endorsed having it. Um, so it's it's out there, and we do need to be talking about it more because it's pretty it's pretty devastating.
0: What are some of the like the outward signs of RSD?
1: Yeah. Um, so here's an, an example: would be like, say something happened to you when you were like in the fourth grade, um, and and. All, your memory of it was, um, that you were rejected by what you, who you thought was a friend. And all of a sudden, now you're 55, 60 years old and you wake up in the middle of the night and all you can think of is that incident. Hmm. And for the next three days, you're going to think of that incident, think about how you're a failure, how you were rejected, and you're going to spiral down. And all of a sudden you're, fine, you're depressed, you're, you're anxious, you're feeling all these negative feelings. You don't want to go out anywhere. You're a loser. I, can't, I, I just, who wants to be around me? I'm going to close my curtain. So you see this almost depression kind of spiral down. Um, and then after about three days, you kind of just snap out of it and you're like, okay, and you move on. And what's weird is that memory could be totally fake. Your perception could be fake, but yet the depression you feel is real. When I get clients that come in to see me, they often say I have depression and anxiety. We te- we test for ADHD and they have ADHD. And then over time, we realize their anxiety and depression were just from their ADHD. They weren't separate diagnosis at all. They were just what would stem from these RSD bouts that they would experience periodically.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to think about there. I mean, I think personally for me, um, I learned... How before I was uh, diagnosed with ADHD, I, w- I learned how when you reflect too much on the, the past, it can lead to depression. And when you, when you think too much of the future, it can lead to anxiety. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody thinks about the past naturally. And you, you obviously plan for the future as well. But doing it too much, too often negates, it takes you away from focusing on the present. And, and really that's where the magic is. Are there strategies or things that you recommend for for people to help them focus more on the present and less on the past?
1: Yes. So what I've been doing that has been working for me, and this is what I've been pushing for everybody to try, it's called Radical Gratitude. And when I have a memory that pops up or one of my clients have a memory that pops up, find something to be grateful for so let's talk again about whatever happened in fourth grade or whatever that was what did that what good came from that you know are you more resilient now are you able to do something now you would have been able to do if you didn't have that happen to you like find something that you are radically grateful happened and i find that then those memories don't come up as much because you've, you've placed a positive spin on it. Now that memory is not one of rejection. Maybe it's a memory of how I learned to be resilient, how I learned to be able to stand there with grace and poise, you know, whatever it is. That has really been working for me and the clients that I've been working with. Um, So it's something to try. It's a way to break free from the pain of the past. So we can let it just be a memory because our past is there and we want those memories, those good memories, right? To bubble up every now and again, we want to be able to go, Oh yeah, remember when, Mm -hmm. but we don't want to have to go and then remember when. So we want it to be like, Oh yeah, remember when that happened and I became more resilient and then we can move on and be in the moment. And then it could just be a teaching tool for you, you know, as you go. So I found that that's been really, really helpful. Um, another way is just to simply reframe, reframe that situation. You know, narrative therapy uh, looks at a, looks at the story that you tell, and then try to tell it from different viewpoint, or try to pick different pieces of it. And if you can do that, you'll notice that the story is more complex, and it's not as simple as just you're a failure.
0: Mm, yeah, I like that idea. I'd, I've written a little bit over the years about. Uh, about changing your perspective and, and I'm learning the term reframing, uh, you know, as, yeah. as in a, in a way it's the same thing. It's, it, yeah, it's just changing the way the way you're thinking of a certain situation. I know like um, uh, because I do, I do public speaking training as, you know, I teach uh, these skills as part of what I do. And one thing that I, I'd heard a while back was about how, your body, your mind experience, uh, like fear the, or the feelings of fear are this are pretty much the same as excitement. So, like, you might get goosebumps or chill bumps. You might have the sweats. You might be short, you know, have a flutter in your stomach, butterflies, what have you. Um, both of the feelings are, are the same. And so, when you're really scared or nervous about, taking the stage to deliver a presentation or a dance, in your case. Um, instead, excited. yeah, you're just excited about <laughs> it. You know, you've, you've obviously practiced, you've rehearsed, you've done all the things, and now it's your chance to to share and delight the audience with, with your talents.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we often do need to really look at how we, ref- we, we look at our emotions. You know, emotions are just what our body is feeling. And as humans, we have to label them. And every feeling that you have has a positive and a negative emotion label attached. And you just need to really kind of look into your body and think, what am I feeling? And then look at both, you know, is it Mm -hmm. fear? Is it excitement? Um, Because both could be true too, Um, but we need to not always go to the negative emotion.
0: Yeah, it makes, makes complete sense to me. I suppose it's difficult, especially not knowing to do that. Right. Like, you know, yeah.
1: well, that's okay. So let's put the layer of ADHD on. So we have a difficulty in, in fee, taking the feeling of our body and putting the label on it. Right. That's, that's kind of where we have, we have this disconnect. Um, we have a hard time feeling hunger pains and think, Oh, we need to go eat. So some of us ADHDers, we have a little bit of a disconnect between the physio- physiological feelings that we're feeling in the moment, the body mm-hmm. feelings, um, and then what's going on cognitively and emotionally inside us.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I read a book about, uh, it was about mind health and just just a better approach to overall health. And I remember the author uh, on a section about snacking, the author said that you know, if you are snacking a lot, you're probably thirsty and misunderstanding. And if you were to just drink water instead of get a snack, you that would probably solve solve the problem. Uh, and, and so certainly with ADHD, I had the terrible habit of not just snacking, but like finishing my wife and both my kids meals when we would go and eat out. Like I would eat mine and then I would eat whatever was left over on their plates too. Um, and I always did it. I always – equated it to how my father would never let us leave the table until we finished our plates. And so I would always blame him and maybe in some respect, I probably still can, but, uh, but I always would say that like, well, you know, that's the way I was raised. We got to finish our plates and eat everything. So, um, but not without realizing that, Oh, hello, ADHD. Uh, yeah, addiction and, and, you know, overeating is, is certainly part of that, too, or exactly. at least in my experience.
1: Well, and it could also be, you know, this other thing that we were just talking about. The technical term for it is interoception. Um, and it's that the sense that our internal state of our body, like being full, you know, maybe it is maybe it is learned behavior, but maybe it is that you can't sense that you're full.
0: Mm. Mm. That's
1: the that, that's the ADHD component, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. Tell me about emotional freedom technique. What's that?
1: Yeah. Okay. So emotional freedom technique, it is based on acupressure. So we're looking now at a science that goes back, you know, 3000 years and it is the energy meridians of the body. And what's super interesting is for, for the last, you know, many years, many centuries the meridian system uh, we didn't have any evidence but evidence is coming forth in South Korea scientists have shown that are finding evidence of the system so it's really really exciting that the science is finally catching up to what we've been doing for thousands of years but emotional freedom technique uses tapping and it taps on the acupressure points and it relieves these energy blockages and the science behind it is so incredible in people with significant and severe PTSD. We're seeing that, um, people that can do EFT with survivors of, you know, um, big disasters are going in and really bringing relief. It releases, um, the stress hormones. So it lowers your cortisol. I think, and don't quote me on this, but I want to say by 21 percent. Mm. Um, and so cortisol is that stress hormone, and if you can lower that, you can, you know, start feeling better right away. Um, I use it for myself all the time. I use it for my clients too when they're really, really experiencing a lot of crisis, distress. Um, when things have just gotten to the point where they feel like they can't go farther and they're going to just explode. Right. Hmm. And so we just tap on these pressure points and we, you can just tell over, over a, a course of maybe 15 minutes, if we start the session and you say, you know, I am, um, I am angry at a level five, maybe five is the maximum. By the time we're done, you might say, oh, I'm angry at a level one, right? So it really shows that we can bring down the intensity of the emotion that you're feeling and calm you down. Um, it's great. Yeah. And if you're interested in tapping, as, in, as uh, most people just call it tapping, you know, definitely Google it. There's a lot of videos online. You can try it in the in the quietness and secretness of your house, and so no one knows you're doing it. <laughs> um, but you'll find a huge relief. It's great.
0: You have a YouTube channel. Do you have any videos on there?
1: I do. Okay. Um, yes, I do actually. So if you go to my YouTube channel um, at Dr. Christina Lauck, um, yeah, it's I have it. I have one. I walk you through all the points, and we do a whole series of it. So check it out. Um, it's great.
0: Great. I'll include a link here in the show notes so that way folks Great. can click over and, and check that out. Cause it sounds it sounds fascinating. I'm not familiar. I mean, obviously, uh as far as like acupuncture and, and things like that goes, you know, there's yeah, I don't obviously I don't know the the science behind this stuff, but I do know that I remember a family member visiting us in Toronto and was not feeling great and like physically just, he felt like he should maybe try some acupuncture. And there's a tiny little place near um, our old apartment in Toronto. And it was this tiny little old elderly Chinese man running the place. And so he went in there and there's all these like plant potted plants in the window. And it's kind of not undescript. There's not like, you know, a little bit of signage, but not much. And, uh, he went in there and the acupuncturist, uh, was kind of in a state of shock when he told him, you have to go see your heart doctors right away. And, uh, and he did and ended up having like a triple bypass surgery after that. So anecdotal, of course, but I do, as you said, this is like thousands of years of, <sighs> of doing this stuff. So it's good to hear that uh, science is is kind of catching up to it to, to help.
1: Yeah. And if you're interested in the more, you know, getting actual, like what is the science behind it? I have a link on my website in the resource section. Mm. That is a link to a handout that lists all the different science, the, the research behind it. And the handout is published by the association, um, of comprehensive energy psychology, which is an organization I actually belong to. Mm. Um, and they're great. And they're it's, they produce all of the, um, they let us know all the different science, um, studies behind all of this. So we, you know, we have the documentation approved. So if anybody is ever curious, uh, we actually have the receipts, so to speak, uh, to yeah. show, nice. um, that the research is backing it. So you can definitely find that on my website.
0: So, how has ADHD changed your sort of perspective and understanding of 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 people, including yourself? Like, how, how has it changed your perspective?
1: Um, I don't think it's changed my perspective. I think it is my perspective, and I think it's because I've oh, because of my hyperactivity. I've always known that something is different with me. Um, and people would tell me that even as a kid, you know, oh, the hyperactivity, you know, what's what's wrong with this one? And so when I got my diagnosis, I wore it like a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. You know, here you guys all thought I was, you know, this this horribly spoiled child who couldn't control herself. What's wrong with her? Well, this is, there's nothing wrong with me. I have ADHD. Yeah. You know, it became this, this whole thing that, um so my I I wouldn't say it changed it. It is my perspective. Everything I do has been through the lens of my ADHD. And I never saw it as a detriment ever. I always saw it as something that I can do that you can't. And oh don't you wish you had ADHD too? I mean, isn't that sad? That's really how I looked at it when I was a kid. Um but it was. It was like I, I, I wore it with pride. Um it wasn't really till I was an adult that I, I got that negative bias from people. Um, Oh, you have ADHD. You know, I never really heard that before because as a kid, I never really let you say that to me. Um, As an adult, I became a little more, I guess, um, interested in what the other side um, had to say. But I think that, you know, if you have ADHD, it should be the lens you look through life at um, with because, you know, everything we do is based on our ADHD. We are different. Um, And it's not a bad thing.
0: with you know the, with the the switch from ADD to ADHD and i know there's there's been some confusion on that with that additional h for hyperactivity and also and also even defining hyperactivity cuz yeah the naughty the and certainly you know traditionally with this my understanding is that, you know it's always been associated with you know naughty boys who can't sit still and and so the hyperactivity but even in girls you you would imagine you know the, you could imagine the hyperactivity being shown or being displayed in certain ways, but I think as adults, uh, my understanding at least, and certainly in myself, uh, we've we've kind of find, found ways unknowingly of masking maybe some of that hyperactivity. Mm-hmm. What what are what are you know some examples of that that you've seen, and maybe what are your thoughts on the on the big H word?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's really, as we get to know more about this diagnosis is really the change in the terms and it's gone through so many different term changes over the years and the inclusion of the, the, the losing the, the ADD term and, and making it just universally ADHD, um, I think was really, really great. Um, because the hyperactivity component is in all of us, even if you're not, I I was physically hyperactive as a child, I was jumping out of trees. But you know, everybody with ADHD is hyperactive somewhere. You know, it might be when you are hyper focused, you can't shut up. You were talking a mile a minute. And well, where's that coming from? Well, I'm really excited about this topic and I really can't stop talking. And blah, 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 right? <laughs> so that's one way that it can come across as, you know, but that's hyperactivity. Another one is just being restless. I can't sit still. Um, I, I just, my legs are constantly bouncing. I'm constantly shifting in my seat. It might be the real quiet child sitting on the couch that the quiet, inattentive ADHD, and yet they're bouncing kind of a little bit, Right. It's this restlessness. And then another way it can come is in racing thoughts. You know, we, we don't, might not have one thought. We have a hundred thoughts that are coming in with five different topics and they just won't shut up. And you're like, I just want to get my brain to be quiet. Well, you can sit there incredibly still and have your mind racing. Well, that's hyperactivity. So it's really hard when we think of hyperactivity, don't think of just physically jumping up and down. And, and, and we always think of those little boys, right? That couldn't sit still. Yeah. And, and, but it's more than that, right? It could be the little girl in the back of the classroom that can't focus because her mind just can't stop racing.
0: Yeah. I, I chew my lips stimming or yeah. st- is it yeah. stimming? I've learned yeah. this word recently um, and have chronically done it, like chew the inside of my mouth or my lips yeah. I, and I can't stop. I've tried everything to, to stop doing it. And, and just, yeah, can't seem to stop, but re- have realized that that is very much part of this, at least for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah those self-soothes um, oftentimes come from some hyperactivity that we had. So that probably started as kind of a hyperactive um, trait that actually then over time made you feel, it calmed you. And so you went right to it. Um, a lot, all of us, Stimming is a big thing, and for a long time, we thought stimming was only something that people with autism did. But anybody neurodivergent, we all do things that find you know give us comfort. Um, and so, stimming is big. Um, all of us do some sort some sort of
0: stimming. What are some other examples?
1: Um, I chew my knuckles. That, that's what I do. Isn't yeah. that strange? My husband hates it. He's like, stop doing that. I'm like I can't. That make, calms me down. Yeah. Um, some people bounce like when they're sitting, they kind of gently uh, bounce the back of the chair. Mm. Um, that they'll do twirl their hair. A lot of people twirl their hair in the back. Um, some might pinch themselves or, or dr- dr- put their finger uh, nails into their um, palms. It's it's they're very individualized. Um, It's whatever distracts you and brings you back into your body. And because remember with ADHD, sometimes we can be a million miles away in a whole different reality in our head. And we need something to bring us back. Um, And so it does. It's it's something that's physical that brings us back into our body. So it's very individualized for a lot of people. And a lot of people don't even know what they're stimming. They just say, well, I just just do this thing while stimming.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I only just figured out what it was, and and actually that it, there is a name for it beyond chewing my lips. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Well, this has been amazing, Christina. Thank you so much. Are there any topics or anything that I didn't ask you that you that you would like to cover?
1: You know, one other topic that I, we could just kind of briefly um, go over, which I think is really really important in the in the ADHD space, um, is that of burnout, and that's I, one of the other things I specialize in is. Burnout in people that are in the helping professions and especially with people with ADHD, um, burnout, we're, we're very susceptible to burnout because we tend to get super excited about things that are, you know, interesting to us. We put so much energy into it. We might hyper focus, um, which sometimes can be really damaging if you're hyper focusing um, all of your energy into something. And then we come crashing down and we have burnout and compassion fatigue. Um, and so it's really important for us to, you know, recognize the signs of burnout and get help that we need, especially if we have ADHD.
0: Are there tips around that? Like, like actually getting the help or recognizing that burnout is happening?
1: Yeah, you know, if you're noticing that you are missing deadlines, that you are cynical, pessimistic, um, you're just having a really hard time, you know, getting into the groove at work. Um, if you're having any of those early signs, you know, get help. Go, go see a therapist. Go talk to somebody. Mm. Um, you have to, the important thing with burnout is you have to talk to other people because if you don't it will get worse and then it can get to where you have, you know, chronic physical health symptoms. You might have chronic migraines. You might have heart palpitations. Uh, you might be, you know, having chronic depression, anxiety, fatigue, you'll stop taking care of yourself. It it can actually turn into a really serious condition, um, which could lead to some really dramatic, um, effects. So if if you're feeling when if you're no longer excited to go to work and you're you know you're feeling some of these symptoms, talk to somebody. You know, talk to a friend, a colleague that you trust. See a therapist. Um, go and and find a group. I'm doing a free workshop for anybody who's interested. It's on mm-hmm. Zoom. Um, and it goes through like all the signs to recognize burnout. Um, I'm going to give free strategies to prevent and manage burnout and also a whole bunch of stuff to, um, to, to that, that you can create a culture of well-being at work. Um, it's a workshop that I do. I've done it at the agency. I've done it for for a lot of people. I do it for free because it's burnout's real um, and we shouldn't – yeah, we need to know. Um, the signs and symptoms. Um, So if you're interested in that, that's on my website too. Again, it's a free workshop, no obligation. And you will learn a ton of information. Um, Even if you don't have ADHD, it's, and you think you might have burnout, you know, come, Um, you'll learn some, some good stuff.
0: To that point, that was a perfect segue of me asking, uh, yeah, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. So, um, my website is peacehumanistic.com and that's peace, like the hippie, right? P-E-A-C-E dot um, com. So that is my website. And you can always email me as well at peacehumanistic at gmail.com. And you can always call me too. Uh, my business at Peace Humanistic Therapy phone number is 425-276-0612.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to Wise Squirrels. It has been amazing to share this with you. Best way to show your support for the show. Leave us a review, follow the show, and share it with the people in your life. We drop new episodes every two weeks, so stay tuned for that. Plus, drop by wisesquirrels.com or click the link in the podcast description and you'll find a lot of different resources like articles, an assessment, a newsletter, Lots of good stuff over at WiseSquirrels.com. So drop by, let me know what you think, and we'll see you next time. Take care.